Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. Palm Sunday is one of those days where we come and we celebrate and we hardly remember why. We refer to it as the triumphal entry, but is it a day that we celebrate just because other people were celebrating back in the day? Is it a day that we remember for shouts of Hosanna and the waving of palm branches without understanding what the significance was, what was happening. See, all throughout the rest of the Gospels, as the rest of them are giving their account, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke recall that whenever someone would approach him and ask him who he is, whenever somebody, especially Peter, when Peter realized who Jesus was, not just that he was a teacher, not just that he was a prophet sent from God, not just that he was a miracle worker, an anointed priest, but that also he was the Son of God. Jesus himself would look at that person and say, please do not spread this, for my time has not yet come. If you recall from our Revelation study last year, we did a lot of background work in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's 40 weeks. An angel of God comes to the prophet. And he touches his forehead and he gives him this new message about the coming of the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King. And to the day, he tells them when the Messiah, the King, would make himself known to the people of Israel. To the day. He also gives the 40th week, which is a span of time that we call the church age, and then the coming of the Messiah as the conquering king. But for now in the Jewish mindset, for now in the group of the people that Jesus is talking to, they have these conflicted understandings of who Christ is. One of them are expecting Jesus the son of David, Jesus the conqueror, Jesus, the hammer of the Romans, who will drive out the invaders and rescue the land of promise. Others who are aware of the scripture are looking for the suffering servant, are looking for the poor and the lowly who will take away the sins of the world. So when Jesus looks at people and asks, who do you say that I am? The day that we celebrate is the day that Daniel again was told to the day when to expect. The first coming in Daniel chapter 9, the 40 weeks were laid out. But did they prepare to receive their king? Hundreds of years in advance, they had the math, they had the calendar. They had the words of the angel themselves. Did they prepare 
to receive the king. As we've talked about the season of Lent, we have to ask ourselves the same question. As we journey together from our service of dedication to now, the day when Christ enters Jerusalem, are we, even today, ready to receive the King? If you would take out your copy of God's Word with me and turn to John, the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 12. The Gospel according to St. John, chapter 12. Starting with verse 12. When you get there in your copy of the Bible, say amen. Now remember, this is after Lazarus had been brought forth from the grave. As every able-bodied Jew is supposed to. There are three times throughout the year that you have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the temple. Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Every able-bodied Jew has to enter into the city of Jerusalem. Let me give you a little bit more background. On the 10th day of Nisan, the holy month, which is the first month of their religious year. On the tenth day, the lambs are brought forth for inspection. The families start pouring into Jerusalem from all corners of the known world. Not just Jews, but pilgrims from other faiths as well. People from all across the Roman world and the Parthian world that borders it. They flood into the holy city. And for those that are faithful Jews, they come bearing their Passover lambs to go up to the Temple Mount where the priests would be there to inspect them, to make sure that they had no spot, to make sure they had no blemish, to make sure that they were good stock, to make sure that they were the appropriate sacrifice needed for the Passover. I want you to keep that image in mind. This is a day when the sacrifice is inspected. Write that down. This is the day that the sacrifice is inspected. Four days later on the 14th day is when the sacrifice would be offered and the feast would begin. But on this day, the lamb comes to be made known. Jesus has acquired crowds from the Galilean ministry. People not just his 12, but people who had heard him preach, who had seen the miracles, who saw the blind have sight, who saw the deaf have hearing, who saw the lame be able to jump for joy, were traveling with him down to the south. Don't forget also that the Samaritan woman, the woman by the well, evangelized her entire city. She saw the Christ. She realized who he was. And she went around and told all of her neighbors. And they caused him to stay there for a while, teaching and preaching. And then a lot of them followed him as well. So you had, every, so you had that group of people thronging for him. From the Sea of Galilee, you had the people from the Samaritan Road. And then you had that scene in, in Bethany, where Jesus brings forth someone from the grave. Four days when they should have been rotting in decay. 
And all of a sudden, he comes forth. He shares a meal with them, and they believe. So not only does he have the people from the Galilean region, not only does he have the people with him from the Samaritan region, not only does he have his inner 12, but now he has a bunch of people from Judah as well, a bunch of people coming around him from the city of Bethany who saw the dead come to life. And they are pouring into Jerusalem with him. And this is John's account of what happened. Again, John is taking it for granted that you've already read the works of his contemporaries. In a few places in Scripture, he points out, okay, this is the Mary who did this in the other guy's work. This is the same Judas that you're going to read about in Luke and in Matthew and in Mark who betrayed Jesus. He takes for granted that you've already read, that you've already done your homework in the other Gospels. This is his commentary on top of it. So what he writes to us in verse 12, chapter 12, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Again, he's coming to celebrate the festival as he's commanded to in the law of God. But this is unique. This is different. They took palm branches and went out to him shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna. Please write this down. Hosanna does not mean hallelujah. Hosanna does not mean a shout of acclamation. It is not a shout of praise. It is a plea for help. The word Hosanna literally translates into save us. We get that wrong. We think of this as a time of glorious celebration where they're shouting praises to God. And don't get me wrong, they are. But when they say Hosanna, they're not saying praise be to God so much as they're saying God help us. The word Jesus in Aramaic, Yeshua, means Savior, for He will save His people from their sins. So if you put Hosanna, Yeshua together, you get Savior. Save us. That's what they're saying. They're praising God for sending someone to them who is capable of saving them. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. They get it. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now this is unique as well. You have a king coming, you have a conquering king coming. You want to see him at least in this era. You want to see him on horseback. You want to see him proudly clad in armor and jewels and finery. Surrounded with not a throng of of, uh, religious zealots as they were perceiving. But you want an army of well-equipped, well-trained soldiers. But the prophet here is saying something different. Your king is going to be unique because he's going to be subject to the law of God. He's going to be subject to the very whims of God. He's not going to be a law unto himself. He's going to be my servant. This is unique. He is going to come, and you will identify him as a king, but he will come not in pride, but in humility. He will come not in power, but meek and lowly. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified, after his resurrection, in other words, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him 
when he called Lazarus from the tomb and had raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. They were evangelists. So should we be. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now I want to remind you a little bit about what John's contemporary, what, uh, what Luke was writing about this passage too, just to keep it fresh in your mind. Because this is what also the Pharisees were murmuring. Some of the Pharisees in the crown said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they kept quiet, what? Stones would cry out. All creation was waiting for this day. The prophet told you centuries ago that this day was coming and you received him not. So let's take a look at what this means from the Pharisees' point of view. Because as I've told you many a time, as Gentiles who don't really know our Old Testament the way that we should, whenever something is troubling, the, whenever something's about to pass and we don't understand why it's significant, the Pharisees run to our rescue. Because if something bothers them, you need to do your homework. You need to dig deeper because there's a blessing waiting at the end of it that you don't realize. So let's set up the scene. Jesus was already well known as a great teacher, as a miracle worker, possibly as a prophet sent from God. But they are laboring under this strange idea, an idea laid down centuries ago by prophets, by people in the Old Testament, by even the history of the kingdom of Israel themselves. When you look at the book of 1 Kings, I believe it was chapter 9, when the coronation of, of, of Jehu, whenever the people of Israel bowed down to pay homage to a king, one of the ways that they did that, your clothes in that point in time, the hem of your garment was the sign of who you were. It was basically your family tree, the pattern that was sewn into your clothing, identified who you were. In, in Europe, later on, this would become known as the signet ring, but for them, it is the pattern of their woven garment. In fact, if you were signing a contract between yourself and somebody, one of the things that you did to sign that contract was you took the hem of your garment and the pattern that was woven into it, and you took a, a piece of wet clay, and you placed it in there to make sure that the impression was made. That was your identity. So when Yehu was, was crowned king over Israel back in 1 Kings, one of the things that they do to, did to proclaim him was they took off their cloaks, they took off their tribal identity, they took off their own authority, and they sat it down on his throne for him to sit on. When the disciples got ready to put, bring the donkey over for Jesus to ride in, one of the things in the other Gospels that we are told is that they take off their cloaks and they sit it on the donkey as a saddle. And if you're just the way that we are, if you're just someone from a Gentile mind and you don't know your Old Testament, you'd think to yourself, well, they're just being nice. They're providing him with a cushion. But no, when the Pharisees saw this, they, they got it. The disciples are trying to make him a king. They are laying their own tribes down onto this mule and setting this itinerant preacher on it. 
to identify him as the Messiah. And then you had all these people cutting down palm branches and waving them in the streets. Something else that the prophet Isaiah picked up on, that boughs would be laid before him. Boughs as in branches bearing leaves. And the people would shout, God save us, God give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a direct quote from Psalm 118. The Psalm for the Messiah. In fact, let's take a look at that. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our sight. The Lord has done it. It is this very day. This very day. So then let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord save us. Which again means what? Hosanna. Lord grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. From the very temple of God we identify you. We know that you are the king of kings. We know you are the Lord of lords. We know you are the son of God. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. With bows in hand. Join in the festival procession, the festal procession, in other words, up to the horns of the altar. Where is Jesus going as he enters Jerusalem? He's entering from the king's gate and he's going where? To the temple. You are my God. And I will praise you. You are my God. And I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. The Pharisees had reason to get upset. Tell your disciples to keep their peace. I tell you that if they had kept their peace, the very stones would cry out. You were warned, you were told in advance that this glorious day was going to come. These people are fulfilling what had been promised through Daniel and through Isaiah. This is no mere coincidence. The Messiah Nagid, the Messiah the King, has come. Verse 20, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. He, in other words, had a Gentile name, Philip, and he comes from a Gentile populated region. Chances are he also spoke good Greek. So as someone that knew their language, he was someone that they would approach. Sir, they said, we would see Jesus. Those are precious words. Words that we need to take to heart any time that we either go forth in his name or that we just visit an unbeliever. Either it's in the supermarket or as our neighbors, no matter where we go. Please remember this simple phrase because it's always true. If you go in the name of God, no matter what capacity that you are in, whether it's someone's neighbor, whether it's someone's coworker, whether it's just the guy who happens to be walking next to you, remember this phrase. 
Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus, and Jesus replied, The hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Everything that he has been doing, from the day that he was born, to the work on the Galilee, to the work in Samaria, to the work in Judah, all of it was leading up to this very moment. My hour has come. It is time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds, or I believe more direct, it produces much fruit. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant must also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The disciples, as we read from John, still didn't know what was going on. They still didn't know fully the significance of this hour. They still didn't know fully what Jesus was teaching in these words. What Jesus is effectively saying is both his own ministry and as a a teaching for us. When you go after the things of God, you go in the things of God with a sacrificial love an agape love, a love that will endure not only persecution and pain, but a love that if need be will will bring one to the end of their mortal life. The same way that a kernel of wheat has to be buried, die as a kernel of wheat, and then come back as something else so it can spread much fruit. Jesus realizes that this is his mission that he has to die. That for you, for myself, for all of us, to be able to have that relationship with God, we have to die to self. The sacrifice has to be there and he would be the first to offer his life so that we might live. Shall I ask God to take this away from me? when this is the very reason that God sent me in the first place. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Even in my death, God, be glorified in me. Then a voice came from heaven. This one we don't find in the other gospels. A voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the crowd was there, heard it and said it was thunder. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, 
will draw all people to myself. This is the same thing that he said in John chapter 3. As Moses lifted the serpent up in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And if I am lifted up, I will draw all men, what? Unto me. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? They still didn't get it. (laughs) They were getting bits and pieces of it, but the jigsaw puzzle hadn't been fully realized. Yes, we hear about this conquering king who drives out the enemy. Yes, we hear about the justice and the judgment of God being perfectly manifest. Yes, we hear that someone is going to suffer for our sake. But aren't you also supposed to be the king who reigns on David's throne forever? Aren't you supposed to be the person who conquers militarily, who drives out the oppressor? Aren't you supposed to be the end of all corrupt governments upon the face of the earth? For someone, for a crowd who knows the book of Isaiah... They seem not to know the book of Isaiah. For the prophet who this was revealed to wrote down for us, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, what? We are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned in our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was our fault, but God placed our sin, our debt on him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet did not open his mouth. He was led like a a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? What happened to the disciples at the hour of his crucifixion? Scattered. The only one left to him, several feet away, trying to comfort his mother Mary. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. This has all been told before. Going on. Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Make the choice while you still can. Before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become the children of the light. It's no coincidence that the church grew by several thousand people on the day of Pentecost when all this was explained to them by the Apostle Peter. The seeds of the church, the foundation of the church is being laid this very moment when Jerusalem had swelled to several million people. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become the children of the light. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message? 
And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because Isaiah says elsewhere, as the blind as he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory, and he spoke about them. Yet at the same time, many among the leavers believed him, but because the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Underline that in your copy of God's Word. Another truth that we as Christians, especially in today's time, need to consider is the fact that in the presence of a crowd like this, where we are come together and there's strength in numbers, it's easy to be a Christian. But do we have the faith that's rooted enough to sustain us when the rest of the world turns its back on us, as it is right now doing? Do we have the conviction and the determination of the same saints that gladly laid down their life for their faith? Do we have the same perseverance and inner strength to bring to bear when the weight of this world itself presses down upon us and we must rise to the occasion? Or do we love human praise more than the praise of God? It's the hallmark of spiritual maturity. Ultimately and functionally, write that down, ultimately and functionally, Who do we love more? The praise and the safety of this world? Or the love and provenance of God? Who do we love more? That's what John is ultimately asking us here. Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. Just like he would say to Thomas. Thomas asked him, Show, me, show us the Father and that will be enough. And he had to turn to this, this, this person who had been studying under him for three years and still didn't get it. Thomas, if you have seen me, you have what? Seen the Father, for I and the Father are one. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in the darkness If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. I need to uh, explain that verse. Because there's a lot of people who misquote this. Please write this down in either your notes or underline it in your copy of God's Word right now. It's John chapter 12, verse 47. If you have read the book of Revelation with me, you know that what Jesus is saying here is is true, but not as it's often being presented. When the great judgment happens and the dead are given up from the earth and the believers stand before a holy God, they go to the what? We call it the Bema seat judgment or the mercy seat. Who judges over those who are the believers? Jesus Christ himself. There is also another judgment that we hear referred to as the great white throne judgment. The outcome of that judgment is predetermined. Who judges that judgment? 
who judges from the great white throne? God himself. So what Jesus is saying here is that you want me to be your judge. You want me to be the person who looks over you and counts your books when all is said and done. Because there is another judgment happening. There's a lot of people that stop with that verse only, that cherry pick it, and they don't read on. Because when we go on to verse, well, I'll finish reading this one. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Verse 48, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will what? Condemn them on the last day. You want Christ as your judge. You want the mercy seat. You want to be before the guy who will look at you, who will burn away the chaff from your award, who you can hand to as a sacrifice of praise built over the course of your lifetime. You want to receive the crowns of righteousness and hear from his voice. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Because the people who are at the white throne judgment, the people standing before him, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, they will hear, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I, what? Never knew you. I never knew you. Are your hearts prepared to receive the king? The same challenge that would condemn Jerusalem, the same reason over which Jesus wept for the city. Did you get that? The same reason that he wept over the city when he saw it. Are you ready to receive the king when he comes? The very words I have spoken will condemn them on the last day, for I did not speak on my own. But the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just or only what the Father has told me to say. Every word that has proceeded from Christ is the word given to him by the Father, and he has not strayed from it. Is your heart prepared to receive Christ? Those who love me keep what? My commandments. Because as Jesus himself is explaining here, the very words that were given to him were given to him not of his own volition, but from the very heart of God, for he and the Father are one. So let's put this all together. Hundreds of years before this happens, Daniel is given the message that says the Mashiach, the Messiah, the King, will come in glory upon this specific day. Prepare. And his own disciples that had traveled with him from Judea, from Samaria, from Galilee, understood the significance. They might not have put the whole jigsaw puzzle together, but they were nevertheless acting it out to the point that when the Pharisees saw what was going on and they understood, they were telling him, don't commit this blasphemy. And Jesus was effectively telling them, this isn't blasphemy, this is the very day that you were supposed to have prepared for all those centuries ago. The day that all creation itself had been waiting for. The day when the Messiah, the King, had come. They're understanding it. They're fulfilling everything that had been laid down as a warning to you. 
That's the reason that we celebrate Palm Sunday, not because of the greenery, but because of the Christ. Not because of the music, but because of the significance. The King has come. Will we welcome him in our heart? There will be another season just like this. Only as Christians, we don't know the hour that it will come. But we know that it will come. They were given advance warning. They were given a calendar date. We don't have that luxury. But we have this command. Be always ready. For he comes like a thief, a thief in the what? You know neither the day nor the hour. But he comes and he comes quickly. Are we ready to receive the king? Have we built a sacrifice of praise out of our lives? Have we dedicated our heart, our soul, and our might to the love of God? Have we accepted the fellowship of his church, his bride, for which he gave his life? In our conduct, our conversation, and our character, this part of John's gospel asks us one thing. Are you ready to receive the king? The one and the first person. I'll close with this. One person I know for a fact did get it. One person understood its significance. For as he was crucified, as the thief to his left joined the mockers, if you really are the Messiah, send your angels and save us. The thief to his right said, have you no fear in God? When you come into your kingdom, remember me. The thief on the cross, the sinner, the, the terrorist, he understood it. You have the blessing of being in possession of the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. So let me ask you, Christian, are you ready when his day comes? Are you ready to receive the king? All God's people said. Heavenly Father, as we come now before your throne of grace, we ask for your understanding. We ask for your mercy. We ask that in all things you would teach us that you would get not only our hearts ready for you, but you would use us as instruments in your hands Grant the message of salvation to someone who is in desperate need of your love, of your mercy, of your grace. Help us to live well in a reflection of who you are so that with every breath we take, every thought we have, cleanse us, renew us, forgive us where we have sinned and failed against you. Forgive us for seeking the self instead of seeking you. Forgive us when we have not loved you with our whole selves, with our whole hearts, with our whole strength. Forgive us of where we 
chose fear instead of faith. Forgive us for when we have not heard the cry of the needy, those who are made in your image. Forgive us for the times when we have thought only of ourselves. Lord, free us from the shackles of this world. Free us from the fears of this world. Free us from the hurts of this world. Free us from the shame and the grief of this world. Free us for joyful obedience in you and the sureness and the certainty of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Free us to know fully and to be fully ready so that when you return, our lives would be presented to you as a sacrifice of praise. And in that hour, as we dedicate this time in ourselves into your hands, may we hear the words, may we be found worthy to hear the words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Forgive us for our sins. As we take this time now to rededicate ourselves to you, free us from the sin that shackles us. Give us the revival and the renewal necessary to be the people you have created us to be, the servants and the ministers you have redeemed us to become. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share His Word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person. To contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you and God bless you.